Good morning, sisters and brothers. Uh, and uh, we're starting a new series today on the book of Habakkuk. So could I get you to turn with me, please, to Habakkuk chapter 1. Uh, we're just looking at the first 11 verses today. Habakkuk chapter 1, verses 1 to 11. And let me lead us in prayer uh, as we begin. Heavenly Father, we pray that you speak to us by your Spirit, through your Word, uh, as we gather together uh, online this morning. Uh, please work in our hearts by your Spirit, uh, so that we might love you and obey you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, justice is a matter of great concern uh, in our nation and our world, isn't it? Uh, we're all concerned about corruption in our country. Uh, we're concerned about deaths in custody and people being made to disappear. We're concerned for refugees who are terribly mistreated because the oppressors know that they can't go to the law for help. Uh, we're concerned for migrant workers whose documentation is seized by employers who then feel free to exploit them. And we're concerned for natives who are kicked out of their land so greedy politicians and their cronies can make money from logging. We're concerned for people who are bullied and abused in the workplace, in schools, and in religious institutions, whether Christian or non-Christian. We are concerned for people who are affected by lies and slander spread about them. We know that God is a God of justice, and that we as his people should be concerned for justice and promote it. But sometimes we feel so helpless. In fact, we struggle with injustice in our own lives. Now, how often do we look at ourselves and our situation and say, oh, that's not fair. So-and-so did this to me. I've not been treated right. That's not fair. So-and-so said this about me. Now people think I'm like this and that. That's not fair. What is God doing about that? Could it be that God isn't really just? Could it be that he doesn't really care? Because if God was just and he rules the world, surely there wouldn't be so much injustice. The prophet Habakkuk was grappling with issues like this 600 years before Christ. A few hundred years before that, God's people had been divided into a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. By Habakkuk's time, the northern kingdom had already been destroyed by the Assyrians and taken into exile because of their sin against God. Habakkuk lived in the southern kingdom, and there too he saw terrible injustice. All kinds of things were happening around him, maybe even to him, which made him say, God, that is not fair. And so he took those things to God in prayer. But even though he did that, even though he had been praying again and again, he'd been pleading with God to do something, all he got was silence. It seemed as if God's ears were shut, filling a quality, they say. It was like praying to a brick wall. And so in verse 2, he cries out in frustration, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear, or cry to you violence and you will not save? Do you ever feel that no matter how much you pray about something, God's just not listening? You keep on crying out for help, but it seems that God doesn't care. Well, Habakkuk faced this problem, and when he did, he complained to the Almighty himself. He took the problem to him. And friends, even when we face issues, whatever they are, we should take them to God in prayer. We need to keep praying, even when it feels like God's not answering us. We need to be honest with him when we're hurting, when we're questioning, when we doubt his goodness and his justice. Right? It's not that questioning God's a good thing, but, but ignoring him's worse. If you're going to struggle with God, and all of us struggle at some time or other, struggle with God, with God. Don't go away from him when you doubt. Be honest with him about how you're feeling. There's no need to pretend. Do it respectfully. Do it humbly. Do it as creature to creator, as child to heavenly father. But you have permission in the scriptures to question him and complain to him from the heart. How can you be loving and let this happen? How can you be just and let them get away with it? If you're going to struggle, then struggle in the presence of God. 
Habakkuk grappled with his doubts and struggles by taking them to God. He asks God in verse 3, Why do you make me see iniquity? Why do you look idly at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and commotion arise. Uh, Habakkuk's society was, was riddled with sin and God just wasn't doing anything. Uh, people instigating unrest, stirring up conflict for their own evil purpose, organized crime and organized government seem to be working together to oppress the people and they just seem to be getting away with it. Wealthy landowners controlled the courts through bribery. The poor had nowhere to turn except to God who seemed to be ignoring their pleas. Verse 4 says the law is paralyzed. Justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. This is terrible, friends, but it's actually all too common in our world. Even today, there are many places where the rich and powerful oppress the poor, where even the law courts, which are meant to be there to provide an avenue for the oppressed to seek justice, are merely tools in the hands of the powerful to keep them in check. But what happens in the nations also happens in our own personal lives, doesn't it? Right, the boss who doesn't treat you properly, but you've got no recourse because he's writing your performance appraisal, and if you complain, you'll get a bad report. The government officer who won't give you what you're due unless you pay him some money under the table. The person who falsely accuses you of something you didn't do, but the rumors are flying around, you can't stop them. This, this story is bad news wherever and wherever we meet it. But it's even worse here. Because it's happening among those who are meant to be God's people. Remember the Israelites had been slaves in Egypt a thousand years before. This God had rescued them and brought them into the promised land. He gave them the law to show them how to live as his people. But now they had turned to idols. They had walked in all kinds of immorality. And they had oppressed the powerless. Another thing the Lord told them not to do. Injustice is bad wherever you meet it, but it is worse when you meet it among those who are meant to be the people of God because they're not living up to their God, the God of justice. wonder if you've ever been affected by injustice at church. wonder if you've ever been hurt by someone who was meant to be one of God's people, maybe a leader among God's people, and you feel you can do nothing about it. And you wonder whether God, well, well where is God? Where is his own people? do the kinds of things that even the pagans know are wrong. In the West, we've seen an uncovering of a whole lot of child sexual abuse by a small minority of church workers. They misuse the trust that was placed in them for their own selfish pleasures, put so much suffering into the lives of other people. They ought to have been exposed, disqualified, prosecuted, barred from any contact with children ever again. Some church leaders are more concerned about protecting the good name of the denomination than about giving justice to the oppressed and preventing these perverts from striking again. And so it's all hushed up and the perpetrators simply transferred to somewhere else where they, where they continued their evil deeds. How would you feel if you were one of those victims who finally plucked up the courage to speak out, something very difficult, and were told just to shut up? How would you feel if you were one of those who had been so badly hurt that see your abuser walking around scot-free, pretending to be one of those so-called holy men. You will ask, O oh Lord, how long shall I cry for help, and you will not hear, or cry to you violence, and you will not say. Our God is not silent as Habakkuk cries out to him. And what he says to Habakkuk helps us see what he is saying to us in our situation. God invites Habakkuk to watch and see what he's going to do. 
For the God who seemed out of control in the land of Israel is actually in control of all the nations. Verse 5, he says, Look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if he told. Our God was going to act in Habakkuk's lifetime to do something that Habakkuk would not have expected. He was actually going to come against his people in judgment, and that was going to be really bad because he was going to bring an army of Babylonians, also called Chaldeans, against them. Verse 6, For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, who march for the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings, not their own. Right? These, these Babylonians are not good, good people trying to bring justice to the region. They are, they are ruthless, reckless, cruel, violent, ambitious, and their goal is to grab what is not theirs. They don't fear God, but themselves they strike terror in the hearts of those who hear, hear of them. Uh, verse 7 continues, they are, dread, they are dreaded and fearsome. And then it says, their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Right? It's like they have the arrogance to usurp God's place as the founder of justice and dignity instead of, and decide for themselves what is just based on what's good for them. Right? The people of Judah had treated the oppressed as if God's law didn't apply. Now they're going to be treated the same way by these Babylonians. The powerful Jews attacked the powerless ones. Now they're going to be powerless against this mighty oppressor. Babylon was far away, but actually that'll be no problem for their army. They can travel far and fast in verse 8. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. They come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. Verse 9, they all come for violence. Their faces forward. They are so powerful that at the end of verse 9, they gather captives like you and I might pick up sand as we go to the beach. They're so powerful in verse 10 that they just scoff at kings and laugh at rulers who try to get in their way. They're not worried about fortresses. They just besiege them and capture them. And then they move on, verse 11, like the wind, to the next item on their menu of conquest. This is a wicked, terrifying, violent army of guilty men, verse 11. Not guilty not only of the most heinous war crimes, but of the most terrible arrogance and idolatry. Instead of saying, God is my strength, in verse 11, they say, my strength, my might, is my God. They think they are self-sufficient. Our God's people were bad. These guys are worse. And they would be God's instrument of judgment against his people. Now, looking back, we know that this prophecy came true. The Babylonians did indeed attack Jerusalem. They besieged, ransacked, and destroyed the city. The people who survived were sent out into exile. God really did act in judgment on his people, and he used these wicked Babylonians to execute. Habakkuk said, God, why don't you judge? God said, I will. And when it happens, it's going to be so big, much, much, much bigger than you'd expect. Well, what about us? What do we learn from this? Well, first of all, we need to take warning from this that God does take justice seriously. If we are the kind of people who are oppressing others, we should quickly repent. Don't be the kind of people that Habakkuk was complaining about. Don't let your company be the kind of company that Habakkuk was complaining about. Don't be satisfied if our society acts in the kind of way that Habakkuk was complaining about. Beware, God will bring justice in the end. 
But the fact that God will bring justice in the end shouldn't stop us from working for it now, right? Maybe that we can play a part in bringing a change to an unjust situation. That will be a godly thing to do. It will be part of loving our neighbor for two reasons. First of all, we'll obviously be loving to help our oppressed neighbor find justice. That's part of loving that particular neighbor. And secondly, promoting justice is loving to society in general, because otherwise society will face God's corporate judgment for its own corporate injustice. Because the Bible does tell us again and again that God punishes nations for their sin in history. This is not just Israel. The rise and fall of empires is in his hand. The problem is he doesn't tell us what he is doing or why, like he told Habakkuk. Right? You can't watch the news or read our feed and say, ah, this is happening to that nation because they've done this and this. No, you can't do that. We don't have that prophetic view on this part of history. But in the bigger picture, God does tell us what he's doing. And he assures us, like he assured Habakkuk, that justice will be done. He tells us that he will indeed judge, and when it happens, it's going to be even bigger than we expected. In our New Testament reading today, from Acts 13, Paul was preaching the gospel in a synagogue in a place that is part, now part of Turkey. And he had shown them how all God's promises in the Old Testament were fulfilled in Christ. And at the climax of his message, he, he preached about God's offer of forgiveness through him. Through Jesus, he said, you can be freed or justified. You can be declared not guilty on the day of judgment. But then he leaves them with a warning. A warning from Habakkuk that we should also take to heart in verse 40. Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophet should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish. For I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if one tells it to you. Why does Paul warn the people of his day against that judgment from Habakkuk, even though the exile has already happened hundreds of years before? And the answer is this. That terrible judgment on Judah through the Babylonians, which Habakkuk was speaking of, was but a foretaste of an even more terrible judgment to come. It's a picture, a shadow of that final judgment that will come upon all the peoples of the earth. God, who justly punishes people in the time of Habakkuk, will punish sin on a universal scale on the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. Cause judgment on sin in history is only partial, but on that last day, he will put all things right. Each and every person will have to stand before God and be judged according to what they did in this life. All the books will be balanced, all the debts settled. God will punish those who have not treated other people properly. God will punish those who have not treated him properly as God. And perfect justice will be done. And of course, God will take everything into account when he meets out his justice. He will take into account degrees of responsibility when working out degrees of punishment. He will take into account what, how people have responded if their circumstances were different. He will take into account what people have already enjoyed or already suffered. He will judge justly with all the facts, all the circumstances. He will judge like no human judge possibly can. And at the end of his judgments, God's people will say, Just and true are your judgments, O Lord God Almighty. You have done what is right. You have done what is right. Justice will be done at the end. Let me tell you a story about justice. Imagine a certain hypothetical person. And let's say he conspired to cheat the whole country out of a large amount of money. And let's say he was successful. 
Is justice done? No, it's not. Uh, let's say he manages to cover it up. He uses the money to enjoy an extravagant lifestyle and to buy the silence of those who could expose him. Is justice done? No, it's not. But suppose a change in circumstances leads him to being found out. And now he's a wanted man, but he runs away overseas. He's still living the high life, but he's out of the reach of the law. Is justice done? No, it's not. But remember that this is a hypothetical story, and any similarity to any person dead or alive is purely coincidental. Suppose he is arrested and deported back to Malaysia. He is tried and jailed, and the money he has stolen is returned with interest. Is justice done then? Well, yes it is. Justice is finally done. Now friends, think about this. If I had stopped that story anywhere but the end, it would seem like it was a story about injustice, even though I told you it was a story about justice. It's only when you get to the end of the story that you realize it is a story about justice, after all. And friends, if we look at our world, and we look at our lives, from any vantage point in history except the end, we will also conclude that it is about injustice, understandably. And we will cry out with Habakkuk, How long, O Lord, shall I cry for help when you won't hear? But when the whole story is told, we will see that perfect justice would have been done. But you have to wait for the end of the story. But there's one problem, isn't there, with perfect justice? You and I are not only the victims of injustice, we are also the perpetrators. We don't treat other people properly, and we certainly don't treat God properly. And so every time we call out for justice, every time we ask God to judge, we're calling down judgment on ourselves. And we can't say, oh, I want justice, except when it applies to me. And you may not have done something as terrible as some other person has done. Don't worry, punishments fit the crime. But if left to ourselves, we would all be on the wrong side of justice because actually the worst crime we commit is rebellion against God. It's treason against our maker. It's not treating God properly. And that is a crime that is so big that we could never finish paying for it. And friends, that is a crime that all of us have committed every time we do something wrong. And so if justice were to be done, we would all be doomed if it were not for Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was the one man who never sinned, who lived the perfectly just life. He was the victim of the greatest injustice of all because he was the Son of God. God made flesh, came to earth to reveal our Maker to us, but people were jealous of him. They told lies about him. They rejected him. They gave him a sham trial. They killed him. He was the number one victim of injustice, and yet, and yet in the death of Jesus, God brought about perfect justice. For Jesus willingly went to the cross as a man to die for human sin. And on the cross, Jesus took all our sin and our punishment on himself, on our behalf. He went to the cross to enable our sin to be dealt with justly. Because, you know, if God was not concerned for justice, he could have just ignored our sin, right, if he wants to forgive us. But God is just. 
Justice means sin must be punished. And at the cross, the full wrath of God against human sin was borne by Jesus. God was so concerned for justice that in order to give us free forgiveness, he paid the total price himself. The justice that would otherwise be reserved for us on that last day was what was brought forward. So that those who are in Christ, those who have been united with him by faith, those who know him as their Savior and Lord, that day of judgment has already happened. Justice against those who belong to Jesus has already been accomplished. Now it doesn't mean that we won't have to give an account of our lives to our Savior. It doesn't mean that he won't judge between us when we wrong each other on that last day. But it does mean that the eternal punishment we deserve has been taken away and we can be justly forgiven. No wonder Paul urged his hearers in Acts 13 to accept the forgiveness that was offered in the name of the risen Jesus. But if we fail to submit to Jesus, then we will still be in the situation of Habakkuk's people, facing that great and terrible danger. Friends, Habakkuk wondered why God would not let sin go unpunished. Why God would let sin go unpunished. But the cross shows us that God does punish sin. It shows us very clearly that justice matters to God. God will deal with injustice on a universal scale of the end. In the resurrection of his son, he dealt with it in Jesus, overturning the injustice of his situation and making him Lord of all. So, brothers and sisters, how do you cope with injustice that you're powerless to do anything about? How do you deal with it when you know that you are being treated unfairly? Well, whatever else you might do, cry out to God like Habakkuk did. And keep crying out to God. Don't give up. God is just. Justice will be done. And even if it doesn't happen now, it will happen in the end when Jesus returns. And if we trust in Jesus, we can wait for that day with certainty and confidence. Certainty, for we know from the cross and the resurrection that God really is just. And confidence, for we know from the cross that on the day of judgment we will be saved. Habakkuk cried out, How long, O Lord? And now we cry. Come, Lord Jesus, as we seek to be people who exemplify justice in our behavior and pursue it in our society. Let's pray. Almighty God, you are the just judge of all the earth. You have shown your justice at the cross of your Son. You have shown your justice by raising him from the dead. And through him you will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with your truth. Hear us, we pray, when we cry out to you for justice. Give us patience and assurance that you will bring perfect justice in the end. And may we in our own time use the freedoms you have given us 
to promote justice in the community and in our nation. And to bring the gospel of forgiveness to those who otherwise would face eternal retribution. We ask this for the glory of your holy name, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.